So, uh, Kaylee, I, I don't know about you, but I failed to find the pineapple. Failed. Big fail. I was getting ready to come on this episode, and I was out in the kitchen with my husband, and I was like, oh, where's the pineapple? And I'm, like, looking at my phone. I was like, I have to cheat. I couldn't find it. I can't believe I don't know where the pineapple is. And my husband just looks at me and points at the refrigerator. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, you're asking me where the pineapple is. You just cut it up. It's in the refrigerator. Oh, bless him. (laughs) Bless. What a sweet like, summer yeah. child. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I need the pineapple in the episode. That's why I'm looking it up on my phone. That is adorable. Yeah, it was a whole thing. It was very, very funny. But he was like, I was so confused why you were asking me where the pineapple is. Alexis, what has happened to your there brain? That's my pineapple story for the day. But I did actually, I, I legitimately just cut up that pineapple today. And it's very delicious. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about cutting it up whilst thinking about this episode because it's probably one of my faves. I know. When I was telling my husband about it, I was like, this is one of Alexis's faves for a reason that will soon become apparent. Very, very quickly, in fact. <laughs> and he was not paying enough attention. So when the credits came on, I turned up the volume to 70 something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I say we get right into it and start talking about it. It's showtime. This is To the Blueberry! I am Alexis and I'm a real life Gus. I am Kaylee and I'm a real life Sean. And together we are a all-American best friend duo who decided to start a podcast about our favorite show, Psych. I almost called myself a, 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 a Sean, a real life Sean, Sean, the real life Sean. I'm ill. I'm on drugs. How are you? Yeah, it's, um, it's. It's yeah, Kaylee's Kaylee's drawing a little bit, guys. So I apologize. Um, also, I am gonna get way too excited about many things. So this is destined to be a fun podcast today. Woo! We episode are on four. No, season four, episode seven. <laughs> High top fade out. Ooh! And as we so often do, we start with a flashback. This time to nineteen eighty nine. And I just wrote, we're in a weird store. Is it supposed to be a Radio Shack? Where are we? I wrote appliance store because that's what I think it is. Okay. Um, but basically, Sean finds a computer. Like an old school, like write, write the line JavaScript sort of Linux computer. Whatever. I don't know what that refers to because I never had one at that stage of technology. <laughs> He's like, ooh, dad, can I please, please, please get a home computer? My teacher says it's going to set me up for the future. Oh, come on, Sean. Those things are just a fad. Like rap music, Madonna, and L.A. Law. I literally wrote, oh, Henry, you sweet, sweet summer child. (laughs) And he hands Sean a box he's been carrying under his arm this whole time that says, Detective Lab Kit. And he says, here you go. Something that'll actually set you up to make some money someday. This man has the the audacity. (laughs) How much... He can't be making that much in 1989. They're still not. They're probably paid the same amount they were paid in 1989. Yeah. Let's be real. The public sector people, it's not the moneymaker. None of those things fell out of fashion except for perhaps L.A. Law because they just had to end the show at some point. But none other than Corbin Bernstein starred in L.A. Law. Along with, oh my god, I'm not going to say his name. What? Pretty in Pink? Bad guy? What's his name? Is there a bad guy in Pretty in Pink? Oh, you know, the rich jerk. The jer- the jerky jerk. Am I thinking of the wrong show? I think I'm thinking of the wrong show. I was like, I have no idea who you're talking about, except for I got AC Slater, and I was like, Mario Lopez? He's super not in that. Girl, when I say his name, James Spader. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, you do. He's the blonde. He's the blonde jerk in Pretty in Pink. Known for the blacklist, Boston Legal. Oh, yes. this guy. James Spader. I'm sorry. That was a very long aside because you're right. It is Corbin Burnson front and center on LA Law. 
we go to present day and there is this speeding car chasing a person on a bicycle. I wrote that they are shooting at the gorgeous nerd on his bike. Shots fired, falls off the bike, climbs up a fire escape. Well, he slings his bike away from him. Like he, he, he like launches himself off of it and flings himself up a fire escape. And I'm like, oh no, where's he going? It's his own apartment. It's his own apartment. That's some upper body strength right there. Like, I can't do a pull-up, let alone pull myself up a fire escape. Oh, this nerd has a sleeper build, for sure, for sure. Loving the collared shirt under the sweater so much. Oh, yeah. What we see is him, like, furiously typing on the computer, and he types, it's so hard to say goodbye. And he's doing, like, a really fast upload from his camera. Yes. But... It's a uh, Boys to Men song. Mm Mm-hmm. He's just putting the title, and then the bad guys come in, and he kind of pleads with them not to shoot them. Well, he says, I saw nothing. I saw nothing. Please, please, please don't shoot me. And they're like, oh, we're not going to shoot you. Cut to something around his neck and a plastic bag over his head. We're fully seeing someone be murdered right here and then dragged off screen. Oh, yes. But the email did successfully send. So cut to a funeral. Sean and Gus are doing a walk and talk about how Sean is... Like, what kind of adult man does not own a black suit? Me, the Joker, Colonel Sanders, Matthew McConaughey. Man, that doesn't count. Matthew McConaughey doesn't own a shirt. He doesn't need a shirt. You know, that's right. And then they make these faces at each other. Like, like questiony just... eyebrows? <laughs> yeah. I do want to say, and I don't know if this was, I, obviously this wasn't the hard joke, but Matthew McConaughey does not, well, he probably does own a black suit, but he's also very famous for wearing this bright orange suit to all the texas longhorn games oh he he is a huge texas fan and he goes to like the basketball games i i know this because my husband has like pointed it out to me but he goes to their basketball games he sits like on the bench with the team in this full burnt orange suit and then he like gets in the huddles with the team and like three two one goes before the, the games he's that big of a of a of a longhorn fan now, are all Texas A&M, like, teams called Longhorns, or is it just the basketball team? <laughs> this is, this so, is how little I know. Texas A&M is not the same as the Texas that I'm talking about. Oh, is I it a pro team? Believe, no, Texas A&M is a purple team, and the University of Texas is a orange team. This is how much I know about that. This is how little I know, and how much yes. I know against my will now. <laughs> Yes, I, I know far more than I have ever before, but uh, that is my husband's fault without question. Oh my. So I've seen McConaughey in black suits. I don't know that he owns them, but he's definitely acted and appeared on red carpets in them. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, uh, but mm-hmm. I digress. I don't know if that was the point or not, but I caught it. And so I went with it. Shh. Um, Gus immediately sees two people, and gets kind of frustrated. Yeah, we don't see them yet, and, and Sean is like, oh, come on, it's been 10 years, can't you guys just hug it out? Those two people are Kenan Thompson and Jaleel White, otherwise known as Kenan of Kenan and Kel and Steve Urkel. This is pre-SNL Kenan Thompson. Correct. And I would just like to shout out that the Good Burger movie is coming. We will be blessed with it eventually. I'm very excited about that. Same. Kel is not in this, but... They will be together again. Um, <laughs> oh, he's here to say a final goodbye to Leonard. And then he's out. And also, thanks for coming. John leans over and says, can I give an amen if the preacher ask for one? asks for one? Yes, but wait for it. We find out that Leonard, or as his friends called him, Diddle, Diddle? was a good man. And he's, we're not here to talk about his death, but to celebrate his life. Can I get an amen? Amen! Yes. And Gus is very proud that Sean has appropriately... Amen. But then he talks a little bit more, and Sean gets up and screams, Hallelujah! He's like, wouldn't you sit down, sit down? And Sean's like, I'm sorry, I was in the moment. I was, I was in the moment. It was the moment. The person giving the the funeral, the funeral speech, the eulogy, if you will, who I think, that his- I want to say, is kind of famous for Barack Obama impressions. I would believe that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I kept thinking. Just I'm like, I've face. seen this man do Obama impressions. He said that Diddle's bandmates are going to come up and sing. Oh, cool. He was, he was in a band? You didn't tell me he was in a band. Gus stands up and Sean is very confused by this. Where, where are you going? Sit down. Sit down. It is 
Keenan, Jaleel, and Gus, whose names we get later as Tony and June. Tony and June. Tony, June, and Gus stand up and they sing this beautiful acapella version of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Swing Low. Sean is so excited that so Gus is in a into it. acapella band. He is like all about this moment. He's like looking around like, is everyone else as jazz as I am? Are you seeing this magic right now? He's like mouthing along to the songs and like swaying and clapping. And he sees this lady crying. And then the choir starts to sing another song that's not Swing Low, but I don't know what they sing. I am. Um... Oh, they start singing When the Saints Go Marching In. Oh, When the Saints, yes. And then we kind of get a little glimpse of this a very, like a scarred man who, who kind of stands out in the crowd is a, kind of a, a tough looking customer. I call him either Scar or Scarface throughout the remainder of this episode. His, his name is, well, later, much, much later, find out Moses Johnson. That's just a fabulous name. I could not, it is. not write that down. <laughs> They are at the uh, the wake. They're at the, the reception following the funeral. And Sean is very upset because Gus knows that he's always wanted to be part of a four-piece singing group. Five is my backup. And now I find out not only were you in one, you let it slip away and I must know why. I must. Gus doesn't want to talk about it. And Sean said, I wish I could have known you when you were black. Gus just like leaves. <laughs> I want to dissect that a little bit. I'm like... Sean has known Gus since they were children, but there was this short period of time when Gus went off to college that they were not together. And the insinuation here is that that is the only time in his life that he has ever been black. It's never expressly said, but I wonder, and I think Gus's parents would be very, very, very proud if he went to like Howard University or a historic black college um and it, sean's always known him in the context of like their life together and outside the context right. of their life together like somewhere where sean would like not be uh unwelcome so much as just like never choose to be I, like did sean even go to college period i don't think so no and i want to know more about this college experience because we get we get the sweater vest flat top mm -hmm. high fade in the mira episode a little bit we get clips from this, like, lifetime away from Sean. But, yeah, I want to know more. I want to know the deets. I want to know what part of the country he was in. What other shenanigans he yeah. got into without Sean. I'm, I'm very intrigued of what his life was like sans Sean. Other than being in a, a four-piece singing group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, okay, that was a long digression. I apologize. We officially meet Tony and June. And they know Sean is a psychic. Yeah, he read about it in their alumni newsletter about their detective agency. Tony is so sad about what happened to Diddle. And he's like, the day he died is the day the music died. And then June's all, I don't think he's actually dead, but why would they put his picture on another guy's casket? Every time I think of that, I break down. They're, yeah, they're doing like a lot between them right now. And he's like, and normally we would ask nothing of someone who would hang out with a buster like Gus, but the newsletter made you guys sound pretty legit and good at solving stuff, and so, like, what's up? Can we hire you? June is still overwrought by Diddle's death and said, the man was barely 5'10 and could dunk with two hands. <laughs> also, he was, like, the only adult man he knew who still rode a bike, and they're not buying the hit-and-run story. To which we get the best opening credits of the entire series. Without question, it is boys to men singing an acapella version of the full opening credits. Google that crap. It's amazing. Like, like right now. Right now. Google it. Yeah. Our podcast is not that important. Stop. <laughs> Go Google that. It's so good. It's so great. I don't, I want to know who had the clout to get boys to men to come in and sing that. I think they had a lot of clout by season four. That's a fair point. But still, it's so good. It's so good. Very, very, very. And this is one of the reasons why it's my favorite. I just wrote episode. credits also, in all caps. I love the way they incorporate Boys to Men into the credits when it's also, like, they're also the artist behind It's So Hard to Say Goodbye, mm -hmm. which we'll find out more about later. And, like, I don't know. It's just, it just makes my heart feel good. Mm. When we come back, 
we're at the psych office and there is tension. Tony and June are there and uh, we find out that Gus's nickname in the band was G-Man. I thought it was G-Wiz. It might be. (laughs) I wrote down G-Wiz. I never once wrote (laughs) G-Man. I don't know, B. Um, (laughs) Everyone is B except for you. (laughs) Although... Although, okay, so they talk about this email that we saw at the beginning, and there's an attachment, but it just cannot be opened. It was sent to all three of his ex-band members, and Gus promptly put it in the trash. He was always sending emails about getting the band back together, and, I mean, their connection never wavered, they never lost touch, but Gus knew better than to read another one of those emails. That's like Beyonce in the first Destiny Child cold. <laughs> and that was never happening. Never. Not even, not even if Jesus was our manager. If Jesus was our manager. Oh, Sean starts singing. Yeah. Um. And Gus said, Sean, we're not going to sing our problems away. (laughs) Sean is like, I think you guys are missing this like great opportunity of Diddle trying to bring you together one last time. And you guys having a second chance, even though he's passed and it's bringing you all together again. And Tony says... You look at the bright side, I look at the dark side. I have to spend time with a buster like Gus. I don't know if that's what he actually said, but it was something about looking at the dark side and Gus was just like... You're still the most negative person I know. They get back to the email and the attachment needs some sort of data key to open it uh, because of, of how well it's encrypted. Sean's like, just decryptify. We find out that Diddle worked at a company called CyberVault. Yeah, and they are especially... Uh, it is in their specialty is encrypting i can't speak like credit card transactions classified documents trade secrets that kind of thing they think diddle might have come across some information that got him in trouble and because he died right after he sent that email so that's where they need to start yeah sean says we need to retrace the steps tony suggests the apartment because he sent the email right before they clocked his time of death and so where to the apartment Tony and June are collecting some of Diddle's stuff to help the family, so they have a good reason to skulk around. I wrote box of old stuff, jackets, mothballs, mold, grandmama's feet. These are black leather jackets, and they have their names on them, including the name of the band. Pleather. Oh, pleather jackets. <laughs> uh, with um, the name on the back of the group, which name was Blackapella. Which you only saw if you looked. We get the actual name a little bit later. Sean's like, oh, can I have Diddle's jacket? Yeah, but before the boys, like, snap out of it, they start doing all their old dance moves in tandem. And then they all say how bad they smell and rip off the jackets and stuff them back in the box. We get a little bit of uh, of Dooley Hill dancing here, which is a nice teaser for a whole lot of amazing that we're going to get later. But Sean looks around and notices that Diddle was really safety conscious. Like all kinds of safety gear for his bike. Which he wasn't wearing when he was on a hit and run. Um, also, there's a power strip with only one plug plugged into it. And so he believes something has been stolen. Yeah, he fully psychs out for the benefit of Tony and June. He's like, you're right. There's something smelly about this. I don't think it was a hit and run. We go to the SBPD to find out a little bit more about what happened in this hit and run. And uh, Sean greets Julia and Lassiter with, hi, Jules. Hi, old penguin from Happy Feet. (laughs) Jules is like, sorry, we've re-looked at all the files and we've concluded that it is just a tragic accident. So sorry for your loss, but... Juliet like shuts them down and is like, you can't look into this anymore. We have protocol to follow. We have people to answer to. And Sean said, wow, did Lassiter just throw his voice into your mouth? That's not sanitary. (laughs) Sean also psychs into a photo of Diddle's bike and the tire has like fresh like street paint on it. Sean's like, let me just do a little psychic reading of the autopsy report. Lassiter, uh, it gets a gets a hard pass. You cannot go see the new coroner without a police escort, and we're not taking you. Okay, bye. No, no, he, he repeatedly shoes them and says, shoe flies and shoo, shoo, shoo. And then at the very last second, he says, Auf Wiedersehen. And he does it kind of sing-songy. And Lassiter speaking German is not a kink I knew about before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but there we are. The boys sneak down to the coroner's office anyway. Gus does not want to break in. And Sean said, Gus, don't be the American adaptation of the British Gus. 
And then we hear a voice from outside the room. And what is that magical, magical voice? Who could that be? None other than Kurt Fuller, who becomes a tertiary character named Woody. Yeah, at the very least, a, like a very present series regular down the line. Woody! Sean throws on a jacket. He's going to pretend to be a doctor. He tells Gus to get on a table. He's going to pretend to be a cadaver. They're faking a body drop off. <laughs> there is a funny line where Sean said, we have to cover you up because cadavers don't wear shirts from Abercrombie and Fletch. And Gus said, it's Abercrombie and Fitch. And no, you haven't heard it both ways. <laughs> Cuts the legs right off of Sean. We officially meet Woody. And with the exception of Buzz, Woody is like, is probably my, my second favorite. Do we need like a woodblock sound or like a, like some kind of a noise for Woody? <laughs> Maybe like a, like an alien. Woo! That would be, um, like, like that would be on point for Woody. <laughs> Woody's weird. I love him, but he weird. So you get, you get some, all right, I'm down for a joke. I'm down for like a little clever turn of phrase. I'm kind of fun preview of him, but he's the most normal he will ever be in this very first sighting. Um, it just gets more and more unhinged. So enjoy that coming up. Uh, Sean introduces the cad cadaver as Detective Miles, and Woody's like, ah, oh, one of the good ones. No, no, his first name is Detective. Woody's just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, he isn't even phased by that. And then when they ask about the bikes, he says, multiple cranial fractures, crushed larynx, fractured hyoid bone, contusions this, blunt force trauma that. These stupid government pens are never working. Let me go get another one. I just like, wrote medical, medical. Um, like they do as placeholders when they're just doing blocking for medical procedural shows. <laughs> he goes and he tries to find a different pen and Gus is like, hey, a, a fractured hyoid bone and a crushed larynx could also be a sign of, um, asphyxiation. asphyxiation. And so when Woody comes back and Gus goes back under the sheet, Sean is like, yeah, yeah. What's weird is my buddy who was a first responder at that hit and run. Uh, which is why I know about this at all. He said that, <laughs> the craziest thing, he said that that could also mean possible asphyxiation. And Woody gets like frozen serious and he goes, that would mean the hit and run was post-mortem. Did you like that? That was my Caruso. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much back and forth between the two of them. Um, it's just beautiful. It's a Rosetta Stone, Stone joke. I just wrote Rosetta Stone joke. Whenever Woody finally walks away again, the boys hightail it out of there. And Sean goes, I really like that guy. Yeah, I don't hate him. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Woody. Yeah. I'm excited for more Woody. This is going to be fun. We're back at the uh, apartment of our dearly departed Diddle. And Tony's all like, they tortured him. He says a lot of stuff. I just wrote negative conjecture. June was like, I don't know why he didn't just play dead. I always thought that if someone came after me, I'd be like, dead. And then they'd go, oh, he's dead. Let's go kill someone else. Sean is like, no, no, this is serious. Y'all in danger. Like, he sent you a possibly incriminating email. Like, you could be in danger. We, we need to talk about this and the fact that you got that email. What email are you talking about? I didn't get an email. What? Tony, stop playing. And then June's like, oh, no, I didn't get an email either. You two would turn each other. Wait, what, what does Gus say? You two would turn on each other now, wouldn't you? Tony and June are like, all right, let's go. And June unlocks his car and boom. Yeah, he does so with like the remote um, unlock from across the street. And then he said, my mama bought me that car. <laughs> so they go back to the SBPD and Jules is like, all right, here's the deal. And suddenly the boys are both talking all over her. It's a whole bunch of Chief Vic told us this. Uh, this will be protocol. Secret level protocol. Gus wants them to trace fragments from the bomb. Sean is like, don't you see now? And Lasseter is like, slow down. You are not on this case. And you are proving that you are way too close to be on this case. It is a conflict of interest. Well, what are we supposed to do now? They tell them to sit tight. And Gus is like, are you joking? And, they, and he also... Oh, Lasseter also says that they are going to start their investigation by running background checks on Tony and June because they need to make sure this shady business does not start with his friends. And 
Gus almost loses it on him. They don't just tell him to sit tight. They tell him to sit tight and then take the bus. Lassie is such a jerk face right here. Okay, it does not get better. Spoiler alert, the SBPD, giant toe rags this whole episode. They're kind of butt faces. Also, yes, yes, very much that was too soon. Lassiter. You don't tell them to take a bus after their friend's car explodes. So he walks off. Sean tracks down Jules and he sits down and he's like, look, is this maybe like you getting back at me because I've let it become awkward between us because of Abigail? And she snaps right back with, this is not about you. Maybe I'm just doing my job and you're refusing to take my word as law here. Well, she she looks at him and she goes, are you done? And Sean said, well, I mean, I was gonna bring it up with the ending the conversation doing both parts with my high-pitched eighth grader Juliet voice. And that's when Juliet's like, I'm sure your girlfriend would really like to hear that you're using her as like a pawn trying to get information out of us. Boy, bye. She put him in his place. Now, I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Even knowing what I know, I don't understand why they're doing it. But because I do think that with this sort of a thing going on, everybody's really high tension. And I think they're probably getting some of that as cast off from Chief. And we're not seeing that on the screen. But you know, if the top brass is really putting the screws to Chief and she has to do this to her detectives, everybody's real stressed out. Also, I do think Jules is a little bit mad at Sean, but not like mad at Abigail, just mad at general in general. The situation. Yeah. Yeah. In comes Gus. Sean is like, I crashed. I crashed in Chile to be eaten by my soccer teammates. Oof. Too soon? That is actually a reference to the movie Alive from 1993. I'm pretty sure there was a true story in there somewhere, dear. I think there was. So Sean says- They decide to stash Tony and June. Stash them with Henry and find some smarties to help us decryptify. Maybe at a chem lab. Cyber Vault? Oh, sure. What? So we go to Cyber Vault, and as the boys are heading in from the Blueberry, we get a glimpse of Scarman in a car. They head inside, and there is this guy who, I, I mean, I immediately assumed was like the manager, and he was handing off work to this lovely young lady. The same young lady that we saw crying at the funeral. She will henceforth be known as Male Gaze Chelsea. Gus introduces them as Gus Brown and Sean White. Who is a American snowboarder. Correct. <laughs> they ask about Diddle's encryptions and manager guy is like, uh, Diddle was the best I had. There's no one as smart as him. Also, he's kind of clueless and boring and rattles off some technical jargon that he clearly barely understands. So they go to his desk to check him out and they see a bunch of sticky notes, but Some there is missing. obviously one missing. Yeah. So Diddle is like a super duper neat freak and Gus respects it and he does not respect Tony and June because they are not the same. Sean breathes on the place where the sticky note used to be and reveals, how does that work? That doesn't work. <laughs> I have, I have him like... I have some strong feelings about that. Okay, so first he says, dude, I'm like Mr. Wizard, which is a funny pop culture reference. But the argument can be made that if that desk was porous enough, if you wrote directly on a piece of paper on the desk, you could see the outline of the of the writing. But that would mean that they had never written on that spot of the desk ever before, which is highly unlikely considering he, how he had his sticky notes lined up. So doesn't work he's not like mr wizard but they are addresses that they see sean turns his head and there's a gap in diddle's like workbooks or whatever and he sees chelsea and she is first laughing on the phone in her office hangs up walks out to the copier and very illogically bends over a lot waiting for her copies and this is why she's male gaze chelsea she's the person suddenly who is the male gaze of the camera it's terrible. Sean said, your boy likes big butts and I cannot lie. Ugh. Eventually we make our way over to Chelsea, interrupt her weird bending over, waiting for her copies. Gus introduces himself as John Slade. This is where we get her name, Chelsea. Sean was like, I have a feeling that Leonard had a little thing for you. Is that true? Oh my god, how did you know? But he's already introduced himself as a psychic, so... According to Chelsea, he asked her out right before he died. So she never really got to know him that well. But 
Oh, how he loved his music and this little group group that he was a part of called Black Capella. And he was always humming, and Gus is like, ooh, I was in that group. Yeah, we were something. Gus gives her his card, his work card with his personal cell phone number written on the back. In case she ever needs to let anything else, to, to talk about anything else. Yeah, and as Sean and Gus walk away and do a little walk and talk, Gus kindly informs Sean that uh, good penmanship is a sign of virility in ancient cultures. Sean said that um, Gus has used it three times this month alone. Henry is doing, like, first aid on June because they shot themselves with a BB gun. Yeah, they have BB gun injuries. Tony's holding, like, frozen vegetables to his head, and June is, like, whimpering while Henry puts a Band-Aid on his neck. But he says, oh, stop whining. The BB bounced off of you. It's like you're made of rubber. He tells Sean and Gus that um, he they are commandos compared to these two. <laughs> Sean is looking up the addresses, and we hear Gus's ringtone, which is Hello. Gus. Hello. That's it. <laughs> it's Chelsea, and he answers it as John Slade. <laughs> Henry's very confused. June knows exactly what he's doing. Are you trying to get a girl from your friend's death? That's Coldby. And he also says, um, I bet you did that little trick where you write your personal number on the back of the card so you can show off your penmanship. I taught you that move, B. Henry goes, who is this B? Everyone but you. Um, June says it's just like Gus to always sell out his friends for a woman. Tony points out that Gus has never honored the code. Sean says, amen. Just the other day you left me. Where did he leave him? Because some girl had to do something with her car. She was a sister with green eyes. That's an exception. It's a special circumstance. But Tony says, yeah, yeah, he's never honored the code. And Gus is like, oh, you want to go there? And June is like, we are not. It has not been long enough to go there. They slept with Gus's girlfriend back in the day. Tony says she was a groupie. You don't date a groupie. And Henry says, there are acapella groupies? It was college, B. Apparently Henry is B. Tony said that the code was to not fall in love with groupies. So here's the thing I wrote. That girl is poison. There's an almost famous reference here where Sean says even Patrick Fugit knows, knows that? that, but I don't know the reference. So Patrick Fugit is the actor who played the main character in Almost Famous, and he falls in love with a rock and roll groupie, but he knows better. Gus is like, no, the code is that you don't sleep with your bandmate's love interest. Henry's like, I thought the code was not to have a fling with your best friend's sister. Tony and June are so excited for Sean that he hooked up with Joy. And Gus shuts it down and, and Sean instantly drops it. He's just like, yeah, no, I didn't even bring it up. It's fine. Tony and June blame Gus for breaking up Black Apella. They June says we were going places. The world was our oyster. Yeah, no, we did a few shows at the student sister and at the su- student center and the cinnamon festival. Wrote that down. We're getting so close. Gus was betrayed because they broke his heart. He gets teary. Okay, ruling on the code. You don't fall in love with groupies or you know your friend is into someone and they're off limits. You know your friend is into someone and they're off limits. Same, I'm fully on Gus's side. And I don't think, like, he says, y'all are delusional. We weren't going places. It was about being friends in college, having the best times of our lives. They broke his heart. And I think that's a good enough reason to leave a singing group. I do. I agree. I'm not sure it needs to be a 10-year grudge, especially, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't want to generalize too much, but I do hear that men forgive quicker than women on, on, on things, certain things. Wouldn't I think if they can mend their differences for diddle after a few years, that would make sense. I agree with you. 10 years seems to be a long time for that grudge, but. But they were like. In a situationship, too. Like, it was like, I met you because I went to the same college as you, not yeah. we've established a history and we're invested in continuing this journey. They leave Tony and June at Henry's and they're going to go check out one of those addresses. Well, Sean says, we'll report back. And then he nods and then they leave. We get the blueberry who's coming in. Um, it's dark. At a warehouse. And when they're inspecting at a warehouse, yes. And Sean sees like smeared yellow paint. That matched the the bike tread that he saw in the picture earlier. 
and then in come Tony and June. Um, the intro is June going, that's messed up, which is an Ice T SVU reference. Ah. Uh, that is one of his lines that he says. I, I didn't realize all the time. that. Yeah. They want to know uh, why Tony and June are there, and they're like, you gave us the nod. So clearly you were saying, don't trust something this important to Gusby. Gus is like, I told you never to mess with the nod. And Sean says, you have never told me that, not once. Um, and I was just like, goodbye for now. We are going. Nod. I'm not nearly adept enough at using B to work it into a nod. Sean's like, listen, you guys, this isn't safe. You need to stay away. Go back and wait and we will get back with you. And then the boys go into the warehouse. Tony says, we'll wait five minutes then we'll follow them inside with the BB guns. You know, that's right. I love that we get a, you know, that's right from someone else. From a guest yeah. star. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. Um, But the warehouse, the warehouse is empty, Alexis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's actually suspiciously like Steve Martin's office from the Spanish Prisoner. I literally just wrote Spanish Prisoner. I don't know that I've ever seen it. And I love Steve Martin, Martin so I'm, I'm yeah. confused. And then we hear Tony and June screaming because they've been stolen. Yeah, there's a car speeding away from the place where they used to be, and the boys are screaming from inside the car. Back at the Santa Barbara Police Department, in come Lassiter and Juliet, and Lassiter is on the defense. Big mad. Big mad. Telling Gus this is all his fault. They had no reason to be at that warehouse, and uh, they're about to fight. Oh yeah, Gus is also furious, and they're going to throw down... And Sean and Juliet kind of break it up. And he's like, Jules, we were followed. What were we supposed to do? I tried to stash them at my dad's to keep them safe. I can't control two grown men. They bolted while he was on the throne. We told you there was something rotten in Sweden, but you wouldn't listen. And what are you doing about it? Um, Sean doesn't want to share anything with them. Okay. Because they, he feels like they're not trying to protect Gus in this situation. That, and every time they've given them any inkling or been like, hey, can we take a second look at this? They've gotten nothing but pushback. The police are sharing nothing, and they just expect the boys to hand over their psychic vibrations? Yeah. No. They're, they're all fired up. Juliet and Lassiter leave. We get a walk and talk where Gus is eating a Wendy's Frosty to make him feel better. Not a sponsor of us. Yeah, they're like very significantly blocking the Wendy's logo. Walking on the boardwalk with a Frosty. I want to pause here and say the article I sent you about the 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 death of the consultant procedural in the time of streaming because these shows are less bingeable because they're so episodic. Yeah. But... The article does reference like Murder, She Wrote as one of like the classic consultant procedurals. And then uh, most recently, probably Lucifer, who hangs out with cops and is the devil. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, how, you know, cable television and weekly viewing was perfect for this kind of a thing and is great because we see so often that like there is this pushback with the system and working outside of it and we're getting that a little bit in the true crime community with like armchair detectives actually helping stuff and like digging into cold cases and finding new information and looking at things in different ways so i thought it was really really cool and that last scene really makes me think of it because there's all this tension between our consultants and our police department in this episode i hear that I think that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with the the concept that, like, I wouldn't want to binge this. This was a show that I was watching before binging was a thing. Even when I was watching it on Netflix, like, back-to-back episodes, I wasn't watching seven episodes at a time. Mm -hmm. I was watching, like, an episode a day or two episodes a day. Yeah, and I think the way we're doing it now, like, revisiting it week by week, it still feels like we're ingesting so much of it very quickly um, yeah. Because we are skipping, like, you know, full summer breaks, mostly, um, <laughs> and mid-season breaks and things like that. But, yeah, like, I just, I like revisiting it the way we are. I think it feels right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, Gus has never wanted to punch Lassie so much in the face before. Really? Never? He is starting to feel guilty, however, that Tony and June have been taken and that he has had this disconnect with them for the past for the past 10 years. He also says that he hates that he feels like Lassiter is kind of right and it is kind of their fault. Like they had no business being there. Sean suggests that he should sing to them just like he did when he was in high school. You know, that song you wrote and sang to the principal in the bathroom? 
Stop. That's from Lean On Me. You know it. <laughs> I just wrote Lean On Me reference because I don't know that I've seen it. Gus says, oh, come on. You know that your whole motive for even taking this case was because you were jealous that you didn't get to be in the singing group and that I had this experience in college. Sean admits that that was part of it, but he's also worried that if Gus had lost connection with these two gentlemen, that maybe he might lose that connection with Sean. He's actually pretty freaked out about that falling out situation. Gus does this whole, um, you do realize you almost get me murdered once a week. If I haven't given up on you now, why would I give up on you? Sean is like, all right, so what are our next steps here? Like, what do, what do you feel like? We throw caution to the wind, dress up like ninja warriors, and check out the next address. Oh, wait, 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 not ninja warriors, American ninjas. American ninjas. Um, we go to the next warehouse. <laughs> They're in, like, hoodies and, like, black face masks and, like, dark pants. It's, like, black turtleneck, black zip-up hoodie, um... It's ridiculous and yet distinguished somehow. And kind of funny. (laughs) Well, actually, very funny. Uh, (laughs) Gus is like, dude, I'm going back outside. I'll keep watch. But we see this car, man. And there's a dirty deal going down. And oh my God, it's drugs. Sean said, this is straight out of live and die in LA. To live and die in LA. And Gus says, are they doing that thing from the movies where they like cut open the package and taste it with their pinky? Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. Oh, he's doing it again. He just double dipped in the cocaine. That's not sanitary. You don't know. It could be for his private stash. But they see that to Tony and June are not there. And so Sean's like, we're going to follow the Scarface guy. And um, hopefully he leads us to them. As they're discussing this plan, uh, Gus gets a call on his phone. And it starts going, hello. Hello. Who is calling him? It's you. I told you not to put your phone in your back pocket. Full on Sean butt dial. Uh, they see... <laughs> They see, the bad guys see them, Gus's phone ends up getting thrown, and they are taken with a gun. The dude's like, all right, who do you work for? You're never going to believe it if I tell you. Try me. Miguel Dudikoff. Russian mob? American ninja, you mother. And then Sean is like on the low calling Gus's phone, so like it's a distraction, so the guy shoots in the wrong direction, and then they scatter. (laughs) But the scar man stops them outside with two giant guns and says, get in the car. And then the boys are hooded. We don't see anything. And the hoods are ripped off. Handcuffs, bags on their head. And it's Juliet and Lassiter. They're in the SVPD interrogation room. And they wake up screaming and pushing themselves violently away from the table and against the wall with their feet because they don't know where they're waking up at first. It's from the credits. It's oh. hilarious. Oh, so so I just want to I want to point out that that doesn't happen oh. until Scarman comes in. That's true. Sorry. Um, but I called that a run screaming like little girls, but in chairs, <laughs> handcuffed to chairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Juliet said, "You two have managed to stumble into the biggest undercover sting in this department's history." And then they scream, "Where are Tony and June?" And Jules says, "They're in the next room." June is on his third donut. They're perfectly fine. They introduce Scarface as Detective Moses Johnson from Narcotics. Moses Johnson. Solid name. He's been keeping track of Sean and Gus, but it has gotten too hard for him to keep up with them. So he took them and he said, last night you were, you literally landed in the lion's den. I don't really know what that means, Kaylee. I don't either. I mean, metaphorically, like, I guess he's saying that, like, it's a big deal. But if that was a reference to something or... Uh, if something else was gonna happen like i don't know what it was i yeah i did not i have no idea but sean is furious with jules and lassiter he can't believe they kept all of this from them they are a team they're on the team they're supposed to help each other we get the story that the sbpd uses warehouses to store drugs and other things that they confiscate but somebody has broken the code and has been able to locate these warehouses. So they got gutted. And so all this confiscated drugs that the SBPD was like storing, using for undercover stuff and generally just like, you know, it was like evidence overflow. It was compromised. And then somebody turned up dead. So they, then they finally put all the pieces together, but they weren't allowed to tell anybody. They believe that Diddle found a workaround to the code, but when he got blown off by the supervisor, he decided to follow up on his own. He was a really smart guy. 
whatever that encrypted file is, their best techie can't, the SBPD's best techie can't even crack the code. Now, Juliet does admit that they were tipped off to this when the boys came in and claimed that Diddle's death was not an accident. Mm-hmm. So we know reunited and it feels <laughs> we get Tony June and Gus reuniting and like actually like putting their stuff behind them because they were like we thought we were about to die we were like you know what we should have just got the band back together like did a one and this wouldn't have happened and um we're going into like the whole encrypted message thing and the fact that like the rat was probably caught on video by Diddle and that's why he was killed and um. Do do Sean is psyching out horde while the guys are having their little reunion. He remembers that um, Diddle was all about the group and all about the music. And then he remembered that the, the subject of that email was, it's so hard to say goodbye. So while Black Capella is excited and getting back together, Sean starts humming the code. Uh, I'm sorry, starts humming the song. And then he's like, I cracked it. You guys warm up your voices and then runs out. Yes. And so we get to where a little nerd boy is trying to crack it. He's like, I've tried everything. And Sean is like, not the right sounds. And then he steals a mic from the desk and he's like, all right, guys, ready? Um, it's too hard to say goodbye. Just like the old days, minus the hair and the satin. They start singing and these little bars start filling up. And it looks like everything is good, but it didn't crack the case. No, there are four like code sequences and only three filled up. So they need a fourth. Sean gets to be in the group. He's number four. Sean is so excited. He sings Diddle's part and it worked. It's a video. We don't see all the video evidence, but we're like, oh my God, that can't be. And then everybody runs out and Scarman is like, let's roll out. Scar knows exactly who is on that video. And so we head back to Cyber Vault and find Chelsea. She is under arrest. And Gus is like, I guess there's no more date. And she, like, looks pitiful, and he's like, mm, probably. We get a full recap. Diddle reported it to the supervisor, but like always, he passed off the work to Chelsea. She used this information and sold it to a drug kingpin so that he could get all the drugs. He wasn't checking her out or stalking her. He was watching her like a good detective. She's like, she admits no one was supposed to get hurt. Scarface is like... Um, you're looking at a lot of time, unless you want to talk about who your your buyers were. Yeah, tell us all about your associates, basically cut a deal. Um, and she's like, and, and they're all like, do it for diddle. And she goes, okay. <laughs> Sean and Gus are still very upset, Juliet and Lassiter, yeah. for not cutting them in. Jules the, says, nice work. Gus says, no thanks to you, especially you, to Lassiter. Lassiter says, you are not a cop, Spencer, and you never will be. And then they walk away, and Gus is like, thank God for that. And then they fist bump. Back at psych office, there's a whole lot of singing going on. Uh, they're going to get together and sing at Tony's cousin's wedding. And then they say, you down, we need a fourth. But they're going to need to change their name since Sean is in the group now. They can't be Black Appella anymore. And Sean is like, ooh, ooh, actually, <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Go with me on this. Ready? Quarter Black. Gus hates it, and, but Tony and June kind of like it. But it makes no sense. It would be like one black guy and three white guys. June goes, no, I like it. It's uh, like we're all Randall Cunninghams. I'm guessing he's a quarterback. It's three to one. They're going to move forward. And Gus is all like, dude, we don't vote full majority. Like, we don't vote majority here. And Sean is like, who wants to start? And they all vote yes, except for Gus. And then, who's hungry? And they all vote yes, except for Gus. And then, who wants Gus to pay? They all vote yes, except for Gus. I'm out. I should have known better. And then they're all just sort of laughing while he stomps out. And then we get more of the best credit song ever. Boys to men singing the friendly Indian song. I'm happy that Steve Frank's Steve Franks's band sings the, the the credits, but I would not be upset if every opening credit for the remainder of the series was Boyz II Men singing it. I don't know a sane human person who would object to that, honestly. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Uh, let me say it again. Google that crap. No chief again in this episode. We She's alluded to, but yeah, no chief again. We got a Woody. No Buzz. We got some Henry. Very little, but we got oh, some. 
Yeah, very little. But funny. B. Funny. I don't know where the pineapple was. Did the cheating have anything listed? So the cheating said that at the beginning, at the funeral, where Sean is telling Gus that his lifelong dream was to be part of a four-piece singing group, there was a pineapple on the table behind them. But there's no table behind them when they're talking. And this is actually like a walk and talk conversation. And everything moves so fast. Unless I literally freeze frame, there's no way I could have seen a pineapple there. Yeah, sometimes when people are like, well, you can't tell if there's not a pineapple. I feel like they're just like, it must have been there. (laughs) That's the only thing that it listed as a pineapple. And I, like when you joined the call, I was literally watching that scene trying to find it. And I couldn't find it. So waiting on a pineapple to show up again. (laughs) If you found the pineapple in this episode. Please contact us at to the blueberry podcast at gmail.com and uh, maybe send us a screenshot. That would be super helpful because I don't believe it. <laughs> oh, man. This one was so fun. I'm sorry I'm so out of it, but I did not want to put this off. No, it's okay because I love this episode. So I love talking about it. I was excited. So happy that we established Woody as a character. So excited to see where Woody goes. I love that not only is Woody like a, a tertiary character, but like we get episodes that are about him. Oh, fully. And he he joins in on so much Sean and Gus sh- shenanigans later on. And I think because I did a little bit of creeping just like scrolling through like the upcoming episodes, like on the episode list where I watch it on Peacock and I was like, Oh, there is some stuff coming up this season. The next episode will mark our halfway point. This is crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to talk about, Kaylee? For the episode? I don't I I don't have anything. Okay, I don't think so either. I am Alexis, and uh in the words of Woody. But don't worry. I've been playing with dead things since I was a toddler. And I'm Kaylee. Gus, I think it is clear to the three of us that you're neither hearing it nor feeling it. What I can't discern is, are you mad at it? And this has been... To the Blueberry! Blueberry! Psych out. <laughs>